Hi all, David here. Had the opportunity to speak to the professor of harsh reality, Dan Kennedy, again this month, and I was able to pull, I believe, some great content and great wisdom from him. As you probably know, Dan has over 40 years of experience in business, in marketing, in politics, in the economy, and that's the type of person that I want to view through my own lens, but through his lens as to what he sees on the forefront, where we're going, what's happening. Because as I believe, and I think all of you believe, we are definitely in unprecedented times. Now, history can certainly reveal to us some of the things that can happen, probably will happen. Timing is always the question. When will certain elements occur in the economy, the political arena, globally, what's happening? We can make some guesses and probably make some pretty good assertions. The key thing is, how do we hedge against all of the unknowns? Well, it's impossible to completely hedge against everything. Just like one might store up certain amounts of food or water if you want to be a prepper on some basis. Some people go whole hog and they want to have a year's worth of supplies and want to have a bug out bag and everything else. We all get to decide where we want to be. But I think doing nothing, preparing not at all and relying on the existing economy, your existing personal finance, your existing business model that will just continue to perform as it always has, I believe that's a big mistake. And that's why we're all here. At the end of the call, just going a little bit forward into what we talked about, I asked Dan about associations, masterminds, board of directors, uh, informal or formal. And Dan appropriately said, well, he prefers the formal because that's where people really show up. That's where you get to attract the best potential people, and obviously I'm biased a bit, but I think Freedom Founders is one of the best, being that I've participated in many. I feel blessed to be surrounded by amazing members, amazing leadership team, and amazing trusted advisors from all different walks of life, and this is the experience, the relevant experience, and as Dan will say, the Rolodex that each one of us brings to the table. I bring a vast Rolodex. Each one of you brings a Rolodex. And I'm talking about resources, experience, people, information that you bring. Our trusted advisors bring it. And Dan called it a forced multiplier. Think about that. A forced multiplier that allows us to pivot, to move around challenges and obstacles, but also to take advantage of opportunities. Without that kind of a forced multiplier, the ability for us to progress, to keep our head above water, to make it through disruptive times can be very difficult. So I just, again, want to make sure that you all are aware of why we are all here. None of you need to be a part of Freedom Founders, but you are for a definite reason, a different purpose, the definitive purpose, just as I am a part of other masterminds for a real purpose. And the more mature I become in life, the more I realize that the network, the people with whom I associate, is probably one of the most important assets that I'm blessed and privileged to have. I got Dan to talk about the very strong movement of the progressive left, obviously the current administration that's been in place for a little over 100 days, and how strongly they're pushing right now to run their agenda. Again, there may be parts of it that you like. I'm not here to judge that. I'm just saying what we see is moving very fast, which means that none of us can really take pause and not 
take positions, draw a line in the sand in terms of how we are going to protect our own autonomy, our own personal freedom. We can't control what the government's doing. We can't control the environment. We can't control the wind, the weather, many things we have no control over at all. But what we can control is our own personal economy. And that's where I believe we need to put our emphasis. If we protect what we have and our ability to be free and not be under the, the thumb, under the pressure of the government dictates or industry dictates, whatever they may be, or regulations or boards that claim to have ethics. It's all about control. The government, your own industry, wants more and more to control you. The whole pandemic situation has been an exercise in that kind of control. Bureaucrats and politicians who want power and more control have grabbed it and are grabbing it with more and more zeal. This is very dangerous, my friends, and we have to be more cognizant of what's happening than ever before. So dig into this conversation I had with Dan because he brings out some really relevant points. These are the areas that I want to continue to bring the forefront in our discussions in Freedom Founders. Yes, will we always talk about sustaining wealth? Will we talk about how we utilize the variety of alternative investments and the wide variety of very experienced trusted advisors through whom we can invest our capital? Absolutely. That's a core construct. That's the base of the pyramid of the five freedoms. Yes, economic freedom is what allows us to have options and to push back against those who wish to control us. Those who don't have their own house in order, those who are living a consumption lifestyle beyond what their income should provide, they're using debt to do that. Their business model is marginal and maybe only running strong today because of all the COVID stimulus that's been carried forward by the government. As Dan says in our discussion today, that's fake money, and fake money will always run out eventually. What happens then? Are we individually prepared to deal with that, or are we just running on the fumes of the stimulus fake money? This is something that we should all pause to take a real hard look at and be sure that we are setting the stage for managing what's to come next. And we can have more prognostications about that. It's exactly what we'll continue to bring to the table through Dan and many of the other people with whom I associate because I know they bring relevant experience to the table. Now, it's my job as I'm curating and you're curating through Freedom Founders to do the same thing. Your situation is not identical to anybody else's, but you can learn. We can all learn through other people's experience and what they're doing and really give ourselves permission. And that's a big word here, but permission to be different to not be doing what everybody else is doing. That is why you're here. That's why Freedom Founders exists, is because we don't follow the shepherd. We're not sheep that are just walking off the cliff because everybody else is doing the same thing. We have to be in positions in our own life, in our own business model, where we have that flexibility, the ability to be adaptable, to be able to turn on a dime when necessary, and to be open to doing that, and not be dug in to the constructs, the way we've been doing things, the way it's always been done. I could just work a little bit harder. That's not going to cut anymore. We've got too many forces that are coming against us. But remember, on the other side of disruption comes a lot of opportunity, and that's the other piece. So take the optimistic side that you're with the right group. You're in the right place to take advantage of what comes. We'll help you stay positioned accordingly because there's going to be a lot of fallout coming forward. I sense it. I see it. I think we're closer than ever to a correction 
that's going to come, and I want every one of you to be positioned to not only get through it, but come out on the other side and take advantage of the opportunities in whatever way makes sense for you, whether that's buying other businesses on the cheap, on the discount, or the real estate that we have opportunities to dig into. There's going to be huge opportunities, and having the mindset, the capacity to think differently, to be different, to become the person that each one of us needs to be that leader of our own family, our own community, our own business model, that's the opportunity that we have because the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people are not doing what you're doing. So stay the course. We'll remain relevant for you. Thank you for your time and enjoy this session with Mr. Dan Kennedy. Dan, last year, it was June of 2020 and you were part of one of our Freedom Founders events. We talked during a discussion you and I had about the fact that we were looking at the November 2020 election. Nobody knew what was going to be the turnout, but we were trying to take a little bit of a prediction and say, well, what would happen if Trump was reelected? What would happen if we, he was not? And you made a statement that we really took in our group and kind of made that a, a headline in that there was potentially a five-year window. You said potentially five years, could be less, but maybe five years to get your house in order. Now we know what the election has passed. We know what the results are. Do you still think, Dan, that there's five years to get done what you would think people need to get done, or has time compressed? Time is compressed a little bit, or at least threatens to compress a little bit. The speed at which they are attempting to implement massive things is alarming. Now, again, there's a difference between attempting and getting done and in many cases, there's a lag time after it gets done, tax law typically being one of those things. So if you get it done this year, it obviously doesn't really start to affect anything until next year. If you get it done next year, it doesn't really affect anything until 2023. We don't really have a good dog in the fight. We are mostly dependent on their own internal problems and the traditional slow moving of government. So there's a lot of noise. And look, if you want, like the dairies in the coal mines, when Sam Zell, who you know, your members should know, right. if they don't, they should. When Sam Zell is saying for the first time in his entire career, he's been buying gold. Yeah. And when Larry Summers, a liberal Harvard economist from the Obama administration, is now sounding like a conservative by comparison to the Democrat Party and saying such things as paying people generously not to work is not a very good idea and pouring the kind of money we've poured and are saying we're going to pour into an already recovering economy has never really been tried before, but it seems to him like you have a bathtub in your house nearly full and a dripping faucet, and instead of calling a plumber and fixing the faucet and bailing out the bathtub, you start pouring as many more buckets of water in as you possibly can, the result should be predictable. When you're getting that stuff from Larry Summers, if they're worried, I'm worried. And so some encore of the 70s is ever more likely, and some of it really is even worse. Dan, here's my concern, is that over the last decades, we typically see the pendulum go from 
conservative to more liberal, back and forth, whether it's a four-year term or eight-year term. We've seen the pendulum swing back and forth, back and forth. As a country who votes for one side because of that's the tenor of the societal environment at the time, and then they get tired of that program because it doesn't work, and we go to the other side, it doesn't work. So it's back and forth. I'm sensing, and I'm really interested in your opinion, I'm sensing that you know, we've had now, what, five, six decades of ongoing indoctrination in the public school system. We're seeing you know, young people that have now gone through the, that school system and into college and graduate school that uh, don't really have a clue. They have no basis on which to have any kind of critical thinking. They've just been taught to believe what they believe. Do you see that the pendulum is swinging so hard that it's going to be hard to see it swing back, with, especially with this kind of take-no-prisoners attitude that I think the progressive left has taken on with Biden and the recent election? Yeah, look, I'm a political junkie. I think that, A, to your point, the population has been made ready over a couple of decades of acceleration, but has been made ready by indoctrination in academia and entertainment culture, etc., for a trade away of right, including everything that supports free enterprise, a, a trade away of rights for finding food in the bird feeder every morning that someone put there for them. Yeah. And that readiness, coupled with the aggressiveness, the attempt to engineer it so the pendulum can't swing back which is what's going on right now in Washington, suggests that it's quite possible the pendulum doesn't swing back. And we face a extended period, not a more like 20 years of at least quasi-socialism and massive government intrusiveness and overreach and a favoring of big business over small business in almost every way. Banks, for example, they're buying up the selling of small community banks and the buying up of them by regionals, that kind of consolidation that really reached a fever pitch during the Obama administration right. came to a screeching halt during the Trump administration because nobody really wants to sell a bank. If you own a community bank with five branches and you're not a complete boo, you're minting money. But if you're forced to bear all the regulatory burdens that are put on Bank America, and you've got to start holding diversity classes and having an inclusion officer, and, and your products all get standardized, so you have no competitive advantage, then owning a community, a small bank, is actually not a good thing. So all of that has suddenly erupted again. The M&A activity in the banking industry is skyrocketing, and I think that just tells us that small business is the target and big business is not. So, yeah, I think we could be in for a extended period when the pendulum can't or won't swing back. And, look, for the most part, it's swung rhetorically always farther than it has swung actually. So when it has swung, if you want to be politically simplistic, to the right, it has really wound up swinging center. And when it is swung to the left, it has really wound up swinging only center left. Should what's going on now actually come to fruition, 
this is a swing way beyond center-left to the left. So to your point about the consolidation during the Obama era of the banks and now heading back into that again, the same thing is across the board in small business. I mean, it's easy to see that the current agenda of the administration is not to make it easy at all for small business entrepreneurs, capitalists, uh, really the drivers of the economy succeed. That's not their goal. Their goal is to consolidate and the government wants to do business with big business because they know the collusions there, the crony capitalism, yeah. the corporatism, it's there. Uh, if you're a small business owner out there making it happen, they don't. They want nothing to do with us. They want the consolidation. So then Dan, that being obviously a big threat and really right in front of us today is the fact that in many sectors of the economy, businesses, well, because of the massive stimulation, so there's money being spent, the pent-up demand, whatever's going on with that regard, but they can't staff enough to deliver the services or products. I mean, restaurants today, uh, I saw Saltgrass and Landry's, uh, they're offering $250 signing bonuses, McDonald's, 50 bucks just to come in and, uh, and apply for a job. And, it, and it's not just fast food, by the way. No, it's not. One of the big home builders in Florida of new homes, their normal backlog has been four months from purchase to they got a house built. Mm -hmm. Their current backlog is 11 months because they can't get workers to build the houses. And those are better paid jobs. We're short over 100,000 truck drivers in America, and those are good paying jobs. So it's not just what the media would have you believe is nobody wants to come back to a McDonald's job and if they just paid everybody more per hour, that would solve the problem. The problem's bigger than that. And yeah, the labor shortage, again, it favors big business because big business can turn around and absorb costs and do temporary incentives much easier than can small business. So it's trying to hire 20,000 workers yep. system-wide. And they raised the entry-level wage last week and all the wages above it, of course. They've condensed their fast track to management from five years to three and a half, so they can show somebody a track to a six-figure income in three and a half years. And they have a four-year college tuition subsidy program that workers can opt for. Uh, Jose's Mexican restaurant down the street, he can't do that. There's no way he can do that. So all of these conditions, tell you that for however long this continues, a small business ownership and operation is going to be more problematic than it has been maybe since the 70s. And to some people, if you're in a position to leave it, for example, some of your folks who are close, right, they haven't hit the mark quite yet where you hang the freedom ribbon around their neck and they've achieved complete income replacement, but they're close, they may well want to consider exit now rather than exit later. Many are to that point, Dan, and they're looking at really some of the changes they could make that will make that difference, and in, in a lot of it's geographical. And moving out of the, the states that maybe they've enjoyed because of lifestyle or other perks, but the great mass exodus from uh, California where the taxes are going through the roof. You know, moving, you've, you've always talked about the fact that, you know, so far in this country, you can cross borders in the states and go where you want to. You just find the, the sign on the highway that points uh, to a, a state or a new location that could offer you the ability to, to live more freely and not be on that hamster wheel. So 
that can be an option, uh, and many people find that to be, be one that's good. But let, let's go back to what you said about the wage increase in the labor shortage. And in our tribe, with the fact that not so much in Freedom Founders, but with the general dental population, dentists in general, so many in the same thing in, in business is try to play to the middle, right? They try to be all things to all people. They don't know how to market. They don't deliver the services to a clientele that can pay a higher dollar amount, uh, the transaction amount, missing so many pieces. That group in any business sector will be the group that is most at risk. What changes for those in business, we can talk about dentistry or just business in general, what changes or does Jose's restaurant, for example, can they make, do they need to make so that they can compete against the larger companies, in our, our case, the DSOs, the dental service organizations that are consolidating and have that have the leverage that the small business owners, how do you remain autonomous if that's what you choose to do and still have a run rate where you can survive? Sometimes that answer is centered around what you said a few minutes ago, it is geographic. And so the practice or the small business in, uh, well, I'll even take where I live. So in a community 25 minutes from my house, that is one of the most affluent communities around. The small business and the small restaurant there, if their owners are smart, is more able to compete than 25 minutes in my direction in a upper middle class community because in the affluent market, uh, there's more price elasticity. So they can raise prices, take care of fewer customers or patients or clients, thereby requiring fewer staff. They can be open fewer hours or fewer days, and they can wind up netting the same income. I have a client right now in the hearing aid business where I did a great deal of work a decade ago. And the top, basically the top price for a set of hearing aids is right around $8,000. It has not gone up in five years. It was $8,000 five years ago. And basically the retailer, like a miracle air, the audiologist and the, the MD slash audiologist, or in his case, a ear surgeon, they're all selling top end hearing aids at the same price at $8,000. Now, to me, this is nuts because the MD surgeon, who can also do cochlear implants and has a much higher level of expertise to factor into his case to the market. Yes. And that ought to give him price elasticity. And for the most part, it's not being used. But to get that, you can't really be selling to the same Tom, Dick, and Mary that the ordinary audiologist is or that the retailer is because they may not be price elastic. So you've got to match your I'm a better, safer, more expert source story with a targeted segment of a market who will appreciate that and respond to that. Right now in real estate, in the agent business, there's a big move with national portals and lead generation portals that are forcing 2% commissions. Right. And the answer to that, if you have a story to tell of superior expertise, superior results, superior prices obtained, etc., the answer to that is not 2%, 
It's not 1.8%. It's not 3%. It's right out front. We are not 2% folks. It's 7% here plus a new client activation fee. And here's why. You got to deliver that to the right prospect. But to the right prospect, that'll work. And to do simple math, you could do one-third the transactions and be in the same income place, which means you need less infrastructure, you need less support, you need less staff. So that's, so that's interesting, Dan, because here were some of the lessons that came out of the pandemic, the shutdown that many businesses and certainly our dentists experienced last March, April, and into May, was that many of the jurisdictions would allow emergency only, and there's different definitions, but most dentists were able, even under the most confined jurisdictions, most were able to, quote, be open, but not for scheduled appointments, not for their routine hygiene, but open to take, quote, emergency calls, and whatever they wanted to find that is. And what they found was that dentist with low staff, maybe one assistant, was all you would need to be there, but they would get, gosh, it could be a two, maybe three people a day would call in and have some significant need for treatment that they could do same day. Come in, the person was appreciative, this doctor got them in. When a lot of doctor's offices just put out the we're not available sign, answering machine. So if you were there and able to take that on, understood the positioning and the scarcity effect that you had, many of our doctors that did that actually found what you just said. They were absolutely as profitable, if not more, with a much less stress schedule, with less infrastructure, less overhead. Well, why would you go back to what you were doing? Why would you ever go back to having three hygienists and doing PPO decreased reimbursement insurance and trying to make it up on volume? Why would you ever go back to that when you just saw what, what it felt like? And many just didn't get that. Again, not in our tribe, but I talked to many that outside that just didn't pick that message up. Well, no matter what the conditions are, and in this case, let's call them unkind, unfriendly, disadvantageous conditions. No matter what the conditions are, there are always business owners in virtually every category who surrender. They really weren't done in by Walmart. They weren't done in by Amazon. They weren't done in by the virus. And they're not going to be really done in by Biden because they surrender before that would ever happen. Norm Schwarzkopf told me that when they did Desert Storm, when they invaded Iraq, literally Iraqi soldiers were were coming to them like the migrants are now down at the river, turning themselves into Border Patrol. They were marching up to them and putting their guns on the ground and wanting to be captured. They just surrendered right away. So that happens every time there's a bad set of conditions. And it happens in every business category. Then there are always some that sort of barely survive and maybe survive long enough that the tide turns and there's a boom period where there's money running uphill and that kind of makes them whole again. And then there's always a group, a much smaller group, who are intellectually and emotionally flexible and creative. And not only do they prosper under the bad condition, they adapt going forward and use what they discovered during the bad condition. Right. But has always, you know, it's a pyramid. <laughs> and there's 
1% at the very top and 4% near the top and 15%, and then we have a precipitous fall. And it's an important point is you do not have to do business the way you've always done business, nor do you even have to return to it. There are, for example, in the restaurant industry, restaurant owners who have discovered something similar to what you just described with dentistry. They've discovered that being takeout only is actually more net profitable for them. Yes. And it requires fewer people. Exactly. And can be smooshed into fewer hours. And they're not reopening for dining. Now, that's a small business answer, right? It's not the way a chain would operate, but it can be the right answer for Luigi's Pizza. Right. I think that one of the things that comes with experience that is dangerous is commitment to it. Mike Vance, the the creative thinking guy with Roots to Disney, Mike always cautioned about just age, that along with hardening of the arteries comes hardening of the attitudes and the aptitudes. Mm. And so it's dangerous to be unmoored from your experience or unmoored from other people's relevant experience. But it's also dangerous to be anchored to it. Yes. And most rich folks have included reinvention a number of times in their careers or in their businesses. Yeah, rich, rich folks that have been able to sustain themselves through the economic and industry-specific turmoil, disruption, what have you, have done that. That's, again, as you said, with the pyramid, that's the small percentage at the top. The majority kind of have that sunk cost fallacy, that syndrome that, well, I've put everything into this model. This is all my training. I'm not really comfortable with taking, they think it's the risk to be adaptable or creative. They think that's risky. So they're, I, I picture them as treading water in the pool, right, Dan, or in the lake, treading water. They're keeping their head afloat, but they're starting to bob. And they think, well, I can just keep this going and, gee, someone will save me somewhere. Things will turn back around. So I think being cognizant of one's current model, understanding where the risks are, understanding where the overhead, the infrastructure is too heavy, where they can't be flexible or adaptable because they don't have have margin. They don't have revenue margin. They don't have enough profitability. They have carrying too much debt load or maybe decided erroneously through this pandemic and this massive amount of stimulus, it's a great time to pick up and, uh, and expand. Let's go build a, a new whatever, a $2 million you know, new, new infrastructure because, gee, we have all this demand, and they think that's the way to solve the problem. I'll bet you would say not so fast. Yeah, not so fast. Not necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. There is a difference, which Wall Street rarely reflects, uh, but Main Street does. There is a difference between fake money and real money, and fake money eventually stops. Right. It's always hard to be right about timing, but we can be certain that what has caused the, um, I saw an interview yesterday, the resorts in Hawaii are so full that if you want a beach chair, somebody's got to get out there by 6 o'clock in the morning to claim it. Kind of like buying an, uh, the new iPhone, right? Lighting up? Yeah. yeah. And they said, literally, here's why. It's because we gave everybody $1,400 and $5,600 and an extra $300 a week 
on unemployment. They went a year spending a lot less than they usually spend because they were held captive in their caves. So there's that money. Now there's all this fake money. There's a promise of more fake money. A Newsom is now going to send everybody in California 600 bucks out of the surplusing magically. And so they're spending it. Vegas is full for the same reason, by the way. This fake money will stop. And what you don't want is permanent construction of obligation based on this. That's pretty hazardous, and that's pretty risky. And you also want to think about the dangers of expanding the same thing you're already doing if it is very dependent on you, and the dangers of not creating an asset base that can support you and an asset base that can hedge you, some portion of it, that can hedge you against the possibility or probability of uh, runaway inflation. Right. Last piece I'd like to get your insights, and I know you have so much personal and client experience with this, but those, as you mentioned earlier, you know, people who are able to sustain wealth and therefore also sustain freedom, personal sovereignty through cyclical disruptions are those who are very discerning about with whom they associate, what they read, what they watch, what they're taking in. Speak a little bit about that with, again, many years of experience of seeing what's worked and what hasn't in regards to the mindset, the way we think, the way we weigh others and associations, informal or formal, can help us with blind spots that we all have. I happen to see a copy of the New York Times, the dot-com version, and if this is your news source, you like are dumping some pretty toxic stuff into your head. It was remarkable to me that I couldn't find a objective article. Uh, I couldn't find a single one that would pass high school journalism in which I got an A and won a Quill and Scroll Award. And there's not a single article in this thing that wouldn't have got an F. So I think the first thing to face is that we no longer have, have news media. It literally doesn't have at best opinion media, and at worst, in many cases, we have propaganda media. So the sifting of the discernment of what is a fact and what is a opinion is really now vital. You almost have to look at your inbound, what you are considering, with a yellow highlighter to mark the facts and a red highlighter to mark the opinion until your mind does it automatically. We have in the racehorse business, when there's an auction, you get a catalog of all the horses that are up for auction. And the last thing on each page is the seller's statement of why he's selling the horse. And 90% of these are really creative fiction. Every once in a while, there's an honest one. It'll say, I've tried everything I know how to do, and I can't get this thing to go fast enough, but maybe you can. But that's pretty rare. So, yeah, you've got to really be discerning, and you've got to be thoughtful about the agenda behind what is being presented to you. And then you also have to be as discerning as you can be about source, because some are less worse than others. And then there are opportunities to associate in groups of individuals like yours that are purposed like a 
traditional mastermind group, the mastermind of Harvey Firestone and Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Andrew Carnegie, where information is curated and processes are tested and so forth. And that's a different way than media to take in information, still careful to separate it from opinion, because everybody that's got legitimate information also has a lot of opinions. Yes. And this is work you really have to do. You can't take any of it just for granted anymore. I think there were sources that you could pretty much do that with a decade ago, but I don't think that's the case now. Well, being around a, a peer group that, again, whether it's formal or informal, a peer group that doesn't have an agenda on you, that you're really in that group, however it's been facilitated, to collaborate, where there's you know skin in it, there's investment in it, people are showing up because they want to be there. They themselves have been curated and vetted to be a certain caliber. That's the place where, in my experience, where I have gained certainly insights, clarity, and had the opportunity to look at my life, my business, my investments, my time, my freedom from angles that I otherwise probably would not have taken maybe the time or had the outside perspective of other people weighing in. Again, without agenda, uh, but being truthful and asking questions many times that I have not asked myself. Yeah, and look, I'm not, they can work, but I'm not a big fan of the informal ones. I think these things need leadership. Somebody has to be the captain of the ship. And actually, if you even go all the way back to the Think and Grow Rich example, Carnegie actually was the captain of the mastermind group. I like your structure. It's the structure I've always run and in different industries than yours. And I think without that sort of first sounding board place and second, people that have the same direction and have relevant experience and don't really have any agenda and will make you defend your ideas, will ask questions that you might not ask and are themselves collectors of information and connections. I think that's important. I think it's pretty dangerous not to have a network. And the benefit of a network is, and I'll use an old-fashioned term, you have your Rolodex, then you have the Rolodex of the leader of the group you're a part of, and then you have the Rolodex of everybody else who's in the group. Yes. And that's a big force multiplier. Somebody knows somebody with really relevant experience and information about X when you have that kind of environment that you're a part of. Well, Dan, thank you, as always, for your insights and wisdom. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Pleasure.